Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 38 of Renar Voice. My name is Robert Swatala. I'm one of the co-hosts for Renar Voice, and with me, my co-host, Jeff Mazone. How are you, Jeff? Hey, Robert. Good morning, bro. Good. We're getting close to uh, to the end here, the finale, the graduation. It's right? like, wait, the end of what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you didn't know, right? Right? You keep me on my toes. These little the uh, banter, I have no clue what's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it that way because it, it does keep it keep it fresh and keep you alert. You know, That's I guess you do. do spry in your young age. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, spring is here. We, we had some nice weather. Um, I'm excited because next week we get to, to graduate. So I'm excited to be done with discussion boards and everything else that goes along with the <laughs> master's program. I never want to see another discussion board ever in my life as far as I'm concerned. But, right. you know, we get to we get to celebrate that. We get to celebrate that with uh, together and with our families. And I, I'm really looking forward to it. And, and this will probably be the last podcast that we have before that happens. So um, I just wanted to keep our audience informed of that big day that's coming up. Yeah, man. And so by the time this episode drops, we will have already walked. Uh, you're still in class right now. I mean, you are Correct. really staring at the finish line. I mean, you have yeah. like two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Le less than two weeks. Boy, that is a great feeling. A couple more assignments. A couple more discussion boards, baby. Come <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And try not to just pack it in at this point. Oh, that's great. That's great. Way to go. Well, hey, let's go ahead and get started because I'm I'm really I'm going to say intrigued about today because yep. it's it's a topic that I think is very common and you hear it a lot. But I don't know if certainly for me, I've gotten a lot of exposure uh, and, mm. and no pun intended with that either. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Jeff, if, if you don't mind, could you go ahead and introduce our guest for today? So today we have Dr. Brandon Wagoner, who serves as core faculty at Liberty University. Uh, he also works at a private practice agency where he is a licensed professional counselor and a national certified counselor. He received his MA in professional counseling from Liberty University and has several years experience with many populations. He also got his PhD in counselor education and supervision at Liberty, but also he holds a master of science in commercial aviation since he has several years working in the aviation field as a mechanic and educator. And he actually teaches uh, aviation at Liberty as well as uh, counseling, which is pretty fascinating. Um, he also serves as the president-elect of the Lynchburg Area Counseling Association. His research agenda includes specific focus on sexuality and sexual issues, pornography use, religious involvement, singles, and attraction. So Dr. Wagoner, good morning, and thanks so much for being here today. Good morning. Thank you, guys. This is this is an honor. I I have to say, full disclosure, um, uh, you guys have been mentioned in at least a few of our faculty meetings, and I'm not going to go into detail, but I do think the word rock star has been thrown out a few times. So I'm just I'm I'm glad to be here. That sounds like a Dr. Lily moniker right there. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm not going to disclose anything. <laughs> Paul and Ringo is there? Paul and John? I mean, oh, what, what are we? Yeah. That's great. It's uh, it's been a lot of fun um, to do these episodes, and and we always talk about the, a big impetus for us um, to doing this and and bringing on professors is because as online students, we just don't get the opportunities with you all. And Robert and I noticed that during intensive, uh, 
which I think were on campus, at least for me, some of the most formative times were, you know, that 45 minute chunk in the beginning of class every day, where it's just like open range uh, with the professor. And I think we all benefited from that so much. So to have this opportunity with you, uh, just in line with all the other professors that we've had to ask the questions that we don't get to ask, because we don't, we don't get the FaceTime with you, you know? Um, so that being said, like Robert and I were reflecting even just this morning with you, like OCD is not something we've talked about. <laughs> it's so common. Uh, and there's a lot of stereotypes about what it is, right? We know these, I'm not even going to get into those. Um, and just as we plug through the podcast, we realize like this is a topic that needs to be discussed and especially different modalities, different theories behind it. Uh, we touch on them here and there through the coursework, but we don't really ever get into it. And then we become counselors and we see how common it is. Uh, so, Doc, can you just tell us a little bit about your clinical experience, uh, what you've encountered with clients uh, presenting with OCD or OCD symptoms, what that's been like for you, and, and what approaches did you find yourself using that showed themselves to be effective? Yeah, sure. I I think my journey in this, it's not its not something I ever thought, oh, I'm going to go specialize in this or I'm going to... I'm going to want to know about this this disorder, even though as a counselor we we have to know a lot of things, which is I don't know for, for me sometimes a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure to know things, but um, it's really my clinical experience. I would start getting clients with OCD, or I'd be seeing some things, and I would just use my same modality of treatments of, of some CBT work, some thought change. And it just really was not effective. It was it was like pulling teeth or like it, it was just frustrating because clients would still be stuck in their ruminations and their and their thoughts. And so it really forced me to go, which was what we should do as clinicians, go back and do research and and understand. And that's what really led me to uh, understand what the main treatment is a gold standard, which is ERP, which is exposure and response prevention therapy. Um, and then once I started doing that, it's like, man, I'm seeing some success. And, and it was really, I started seeing more clients with that too, because I would put OCD as a specialty in my, you know, private practice bio. But then I started realizing, man, there's a lot of clinicians that just don't know what this is, how to work with this disorder. Clients would come to me and I'd start working the ERP and they're like, thank you so much because I went to three other clinicians and they just, they were just doing talk therapy and it was just not, not helpful and almost detrimental at some point. And that's not to throw, you know, other people under the bus, but just to say, hey, this is something we need awareness of just what this disorder is and how it actually works and how we can work with clients with it. So, Dr. Wagner, th thanks again for being on today. I and that's a great segue. Can you just back up and maybe just for our audience, because we do have some audience members that, that aren't necessarily in the field or maybe just getting into the field. Can you just kind of walk us through what is OCD um, and how, how it works and, and maybe a little bit of some of the various models that are out there to explain what it is? Sure, yeah. No, so I'll, I'll start with my conceptualization of it and then I'll maybe go into the more clinical definition because I think 
I, I really want to frame it in this way because we, we get clinical, we get in the DSM, we, we read about the criteria. But here's kind of how I describe it. And I, I work when I'm working with a client to try to help them understand their diagnosis. So I, I really say OCD is a monster. It is a it is a awful, just just burdensome monster that people are actually living with. And and I don't say this lightly, but I really believe it's people living in hell at certain times. And I think we don't get that because I know culturally we get we throw out OCD and like, oh I'm OCD or I like to keep my shoes in order. I have OCD or you know I've you know, wash my hand. I like to be clean, so I'm a little OCD. And I think when we do that, we miss the the just absolute life-consuming aspect of what OCD is for, for individuals. Because the clients I, I work with and I live with, I mean, when they're in this, like, they are just crying and, and just complete desperation of, I have no freedom from this. And I say it's a monster because, and going into the clinical definition, OCD, it's really thoughts and ruminations that I have that are completely unwanted and are unfounded, which is an important aspect to know. It's what differentiates it from some of the other things like depression, anxiety, even trauma. Because not that trauma is unwanted, but trauma at least comes from some sort of event, some sort of reality. OCD comes from complete irrationality, complete, just, just no, no basis in anything that's actually happened. And, and I like to say, you know, okay, take, take a thought you've had, because I think we all do this. We all have thoughts that we have that they just pop in our head and they're just like awful. Why did I think that? And, and pretty shaming too. Um, you know, one of the, one of the asks, one of the thoughts sometimes people get um, and ruminate on are sexual in nature. They're violent in nature, and I think we all have that if we're really honest, right? But someone who doesn't have OCD, what they have the ability to do is take that thought and say, "Well, that's just completely unfounded and not true," and so I just get rid of it, and it doesn't impact me. But what OCD does is it takes that thought and says, well, what if it's true? And I can't shake that that thought's not true. Um, I didn't have a client, but in my research, I, I read, I think it was in um, Counseling Today, ACA's magazine, where someone was, was writing on OCD, and one of, the, one of the thoughts the clients had was that she was going to murder her children. She didn't want to murder her children. It was not a homicidal thought in that, that this is something that she was thinking to do. It was, a, it was an OCD thought. And so, you know, for, for someone like me, I'm like, okay, I really don't want to murder my children. That's not something I want to do. So I, I throw it away. But OCD says, well, you had that thought. Why did you have that thought? Maybe you do. You're really this way. And so it just, it stays and I can't get rid of it. Um, and you can imagine just the oppression that that would have on a, on someone to have a thought like that that this is something that I'm that I'm dealing with. And and I like to say the monster of OCD it 
if you boil it down, what it does is it lives in uncertainty. It cannot reconcile unless I have complete certainty in things, which is why, okay, I had the thought that must be true. So why am I thinking that? And so I have to deal with it when, when, you know, like me or people without OCD are like, well, that's, that's not in reality. The probabilities of that are not likely to happen. So I get rid of it. But OCD says, well, there might be a chance, right? And that's where you get into things like with um, hand washing and, and germs or um, even spiritual, uh, religiosity, spirituality. It really focuses on that, you know, um, where, well, I know that if I don't do this compulsion, which is the other side of OCD, and I'll get to that in a second, if I don't do something to relieve that, I know it's not likely for that to happen, but there's a chance. So because I can't live in the uncertainty, I have to do something to alleviate that. And that's kind of where the compulsions come from. You have these thoughts, you have these ruminations, and then I do something compulsively just in some desperate attempt to get relief. And that's just where the burden comes from of just living in that, man, I got to get something. I have to do something to find relief in that. So I just do these room in, these compulsions to try to get some sort of uh, relief from it. And maybe it'll, it'll relieve something for a little bit, but what that does is it actually feeds the, the rumination, right? I'm actually, by doing something to relieve it, I'm giving validity to the thought instead of actually saying, no, this is something irrational. I don't need to, I don't need to, to deal with it. So, um, so when I'm working with a client, I'll really describe it as a monster. And what it'll do is actually, it'll move around as, as we do ERP, as we do some treatment, it might attach itself to some, some uncertainties, take our faith, right? Um, I'm not really saved, God's, God doesn't love me, whatever. So I'm gonna pray lot to try to do that okay so we might we have work to to relieve that thought and then all of a sudden it it goes over to once we deal with that it'll go over to people don't really love me and my best friends actually hate me right or something bizarre like um i really want to um you know have sex with a family member right which again is just a bizarre thought and it's it, it goes, and that's where the insidiousness, I think, of the thoughts are because they, they're they so shameful, right? To say them something like that out loud is just, you know, of course, anyone that is able to throw those thoughts out or, or to talk about it, it's like, wow, why would you talk about that? Why would you say that? There's got, you must be really bizarre or strange. And so the shame of it keeps it in hidden for actually a really long time. Um, research is really, it's really sad when you look at the treatment and, and, and where this develops. A lot of times it'll develop in, in, when a puberty hits around early childhood or puberty. And then sometimes if it doesn't happen, then it'll develop later in, in young adulthood. But um, research says the average time from the first incident of OCD to actually treatment can, can be as on average 17 years before people are actually getting treatment. And by the time it's actually a clinically diagnosed 
disorder where we actually see all the criteria you can diagnose it, it's 11 years before people actually get treatment on average. And, and that's really dangerous because the more I let it sit and I let it grow and I feed it, the more entrenched it becomes and the harder it is to, to overcome. And so you get a lot of people where, where it's misdiagnosed early on because it kind of looks like other things at times. And then also just the fact that there's so much shame in it, that people don't want to admit they have these thoughts and they have these ruminations. And so it's just, it's, it's just really, it's sad. And it, it's why I want to talk about it because, because I just see the burden that some of my clients have, you know, going through this. Dr. Wagner, you talk about it so well too. And I, I imagine you could write very well about it too. So please do, uh, because we don't, we don't get this rather comprehensive explanation that you just offered. And Robert and I are typing like madmen over here back and forth about all the questions we want to ask you just based on what you've shared. And one thing you touched on that really resounded with me is that uncertainty piece. Uh, and it seems like that uncertainty uh, generates uh, an emotional response too, um, which I would imagine would kind of set the cycle in motion. So fear, ritual relief and then as you said so well the shame part right that the the fear is never actually um resolved instead it's it's met up with shame and, and then the cycle repeats um if you could doc i know we didn't talk about this before but I, i'd love to hear some more about how you see this in a, in a religious uh context you know we talk about scrupulosity for example um uh, particularly this uh, this idea with sin and condemnation and hell or i'm not praying enough or i'm not praying well enough um you, you know me as a catholic we, we're we're very prone to this because we're more of a ritualized um presentation of how we relate and how we worship together so just anything you could share on that would be would be really helpful yeah no it's it's you mentioned sin, religiosity, it's, and even research has talks a lot about that. That's a big one. It really is. Because I think if you think, where's uncertainty in that, right? I know we people of faith talk about, oh, yeah, everyone struggles with doubt, right? We try to normalize it, right? So, okay, here's this big uncertainty that has to do with my eternal destination, right? <laughs> okay, that's a pretty big deal. Um and so you tack OCD on that. I mean, again, you see the, the burden, right, that that would have. If somebody is constantly in fear of, of losing their faith or that this isn't real or that they're going to do something to harm God or harm someone else in their faith, it's just, it's really burdensome. I, I have a client right now that I'm seeing, uh, and this is similar to, to a lot of clients that I've seen with it, that... Um, it's, it's, it, the thought is, if I, if I don't pray for this, for this person, then something bad is going to happen to them, or, or they're going to die, or they're going to, or they're going to not be saved or go to hell or something like that. Um, and so, okay, if someone comes in like that with me, if I don't understand OCD, right, I might go into trying to correct that thought, right? Or, hey, no, that's not true. Here's, let's look at something different, which is actually ultimately feeding that thought. But I have to, I have to, I have to understand that it's living in the OCD and it's the anxiety of that happening and that burden 
that happens. And so I try to seek relief. So what's the only relief I know for that? I'm going to pray. And I have to do that. I have to do it religiously. And if I don't, then this is going to do something. Something bad is going to happen. Um, I had a, had another case where um, I had a client. He made a ton of progress. We had actually worked for a few years on this. And he um, made, made a lot of progress. So he had really been in remission. But an, at a life event happened. And it just started and came back with a force. I mean, it was bad. He was in in the ruminations for probably a week, um, which was a long time for him. Um, but it was centered on a verse that he, he had heard or that he knew, um, and he couldn't shake it. it. It was, it was this verse. I won't get into the specifics of it, but I mean, he went to, he went to his, his pastor, he went to his dad, he went to a appalling scholar that he knew trying to get an answer to this thought. Cause it's the, the only way I can get rid of the thought is to, to get relief. I have clients a lot that the, the ruminations will be about other people. One particular was my friends don't really love me. They really hate me. Even though my best friends, and my family are, it's, it's not a rational thought, but the OCD is just, well, what if they don't, what if they're pretending, right? And so that person, the client's always looking for reassurance, right? And this is where kind of families come into play too, to, you know, you want to educate the people around them because if I, someone comes to me, it's like, do you really love me? Do you really, do you really care? Are you really my friend? Right. I'm going to be like, no, of course I do. And I'm trying to like give an answer to what they're asking. But in reality, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm feeding the thought because I'm giving them release from the thought and it feels good for maybe a minute, but it means I'm giving power to that thought. And I think that's what I've seen sometimes clinicians. This is what I did when I first encountered OCD. I'm like, let's do some just straight CBT work and let's do some thought, thought replacement. Right. But all that's doing, it's actually the opposite of what I want to do because I'm actually feeding the thought I'm giving power to it. And it means, so that means I have to constantly do these things to overcome it. And so it's an inability to live, like you said, in that anxiety. And so I try to find release. And so it's just thought, anxiety, and fear, seek relief. And then it starts over again. And it just goes like that. And then it'll attach itself to different things at different times. And it just, and it's really life consuming. Because it's like, when's it, what's it going to go next? Where's it going to pop up next? And it's just, it's really, it's really sad. And it's why I think we need to talk about it to bring awareness to people. It's why I, I sometimes get frustrated when people talk about OCD in a flippant way. Because when you really know it and understand it, and you, you see people of just, people have lost years and they've lost their life into this disorder. And we need to treat it as such, treat it seriously. Doc, I, I mean, I'm going to dominate this conversation for Robert, but you, you are speaking directly to my experience uh, being a client, you know, 12 something years ago. Just my clinician called it this restless striving and this uh, constant checking, checking to make sure that the people around me still loved me. 
uh, this this incessant fear that at some point they would stop and that it was a performance base too, right? And so if they stopped loving me, then my world would just come crumbling down. So, I mean, just listening to you speak is just stirring up all kinds of stuff. And it's really reassuring to hear that, like, you see this, you notice it, and that you also know that it, it, it can be um, resolved. So I, I love it. Now, Robert's got a ton of things he wants to ask too. So I'm just going to shoot over. Yeah, to I had to, I had to fight Jeff through rock, paper, scissors in the <laughs> chat to try to get an opportunity to chime in here. So because I may never get another chance, I'm going to ask you kind of a two part question. Okay. So, so the, the, the first part is just, if you could share a little bit, maybe about what the differences that you've seen between maybe adult and children or, or say adolescence, you know, puberty age, you know, that you mentioned earlier. And secondly, kind of leading to that is before we get to the whole treatment approach, there is an element of safety that I think comes up here when we're starting talking about obtrusive thoughts of harming oneself or harming others. My question is, and, and this may lead into that adult child and family support that you mentioned as well. What do you do to make sure, because when you start hearing these thoughts initially, you're thinking, okay, I got to do a safety plan, suicide prevention, suicide ideation. Is he going to, or he or she going to harm someone else? Can you just share like how you work through that process to make sure that safety and security is adhered to both in the individual and the family? Um, and how that transition starts from that initial observation to actually diagnosis of OCD and then a full treatment plan. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'm glad you brought up self-harm because it is a tough, a tough aspect. So going to your first question, you know, children versus adults, I don't work a lot with kids. Um, uh, it's something I, I, I want to grow in, I think, you know, but um, it, it's interesting being kind of younger I don't consider myself younger, but <laughs> people will look, oh, this is a young guy. I'm going to send my teenager to him, right? So I, I have gotten a lot of that. And I've had a few clients where, where it is. I think the difference in children versus adults, the advantage is I think you just keep catch it younger if you can be aware of what of what this is. Because, again, like, like the research says, we're waiting a decade or more before we're actually getting treatment. And I have clients right now who – a lot, one of the biggest things once we find treatment recovery is you have incredible uh, grief over your life because it's, I'm realizing what OCD took from me. So there's a lot of work of going back and saying, what is my life? Because I lost a lot of stuff. I lost my childhood because I couldn't be a normal kid, right? A normal, you know, I, I fell in the creek. Oh, that was cool and fun. OCD tells me, did I just contaminate myself and now I'm I'm going to kill my family because I got dirty, right? A thought just comes in like that. So, so if I can work with a child and recognize what's going on here and being aware of it, then we catch it early, right? We avoid some of that shame. Um, it, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little more difficult. I think in children, research says that more compulsion, you'll see more compulsions than you'll see the ruminations, just because children aren't as necessarily aware of their thoughts and emotions as what adults are. So you kind of want to look for those compulsions that kind of develop um, more than maybe ruminations and then look to see if there's any thoughts and, and do some work work within that. So 
I think that's the big difference. But just catching it early, I think, is is really key. Um, going to self harm, I think that's one of the biggest things when I'm working with with students or I bring this up, right? Because okay, I have a thought I want to murder someone. Okay, immediately our clinician mind goes off and I'm safety planned and I'm mandated reporting status, right? Or, you know, I'm, I'm worried I want to kill myself, right? Um, the key with OCD and the thing you want to know is, is it an unwanted, right? So I don't actually want this. And this is where it gets really tough with some things. So you, you have OCD thoughts about same-sex attraction, right? And so what does culture say, right? Even in our field sometimes is, okay, I'm going to validate that, right? Maybe you really are gay. Maybe you really are attracted to that. But OCD, it's, it's unwanted. No, I don't, I don't want that. But my mind is telling me, I can't get rid of that because I had this thought about this person that I worked with and maybe that means I'm this way, right? And so you can see how if they go to someone who wants to validate that, it can be very, very difficult. So... So with a self-harm type of thing, what you really want to evaluate, because if I go into safety plan, it, look, this is what I'm doing is I'm validating the OCD, right? But again, we want to be careful, right, with our clients and not, you know, not do something when we need to. And, and suicide is a risk. The suicide, um, attempts and completions of suicide there, it, it is pretty comorbid with OCD. But the big difference that I say we want to look at is, and what I look at for my clients is, and I'll ask, we'll do assessments for suicidality, is, is the thought of suicide an attempt to relieve the OCD? Once I, once I know it's OCD, right, which is the first part, okay, if I know this person has OCD, this is their diagnosis, Okay, it helps me know, okay, I can dis differentiate an OCD thought versus an actual suicidal thought. And almost always, if it's an actual threat to them, the suicide is, I am so debilitated with these thoughts, suicide is my only way out. Okay, then, okay, I'm going to do something then. That is actually harm to themselves. But if the thought is, is OCD, it's not I want to relieve myself from these thoughts. It's the thought itself that is self-harm. It just popped in my head. I don't know where it came from, but I'm really worried I'm going to do this. I have a client right now who we we're working on with that thought of, man, my, I, I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to go do that. Okay, That's an OCD thought, not a... I know I have OCD and I want relief from it. It's I'm worried I'm going to do that. And that's the key, right? I'm worried. I don't actually want to. There's a part of me that doesn't, but that whatever sliver of uncertainty that OCD clings to tells me that might be what I want to do. Right? And so in those moments, I'm not going to feed that thought. Um, it was interesting. The article that, that was in, uh, counseling today that when the the case where the mom wanted to murder her kids right that was the thought the counselor actually went in and said all right part of the exposure was she was supposed to go into her kitchen and grab a knife and have relive the thought of having that obviously this is within some context and within some structure right but you can see how counterintuitive 
that is for us as clinicians, right? What in the world? Why would I ever tell a client to get, to have, that has that thought to go do that? But that is the treatment because it's an irrational thought. It's an unwanted thought. And I'm going to do the opposite of what it's telling me to. And that's going to de take away the power of the thought, right? But again, we have to assess first, is this an OCD thought? So I, when I, I do the psychoeducation with my clients, because that's the first thing that, that we want to do. And even in the DSM-5, there's, there's diagnostic criteria of how much insight the client has. Either I know this is OCD, I'm kind of, I'm not sure, or I have no insight that what, that these thoughts are irrational. And so we need, I need to teach them. And I, as a counselor, need to go through criteria of, is this an OD, OCD thought? And I, I, we go through it and, and we go through, is it attached to uncertainty, right? Is, is it going to that? Which means we can kind of do something quick of, let's see if we try to give it an answer and if it actually helps, right? And if it doesn't, we, we know it's OCD, right? So a thought of, do, do my friends hate me? Okay, your friends don't actually hate you. Because here, here let's think of this thought. Did that help? Nope. I'm still worried about it because there's a chance they might not. Okay, that's OCD, right? Is it also tied to, uh, is, it, is, it, is it an or else type of a thought, right? Do this or else, right? That's OCD, right? It's a guilt-driven, fear-driven mentality, right? So there's some criteria we go through to evaluate it. And then once I do, once it's labeled OCD, I go to ERP rather than a safety plan, right? But if the thought is, this is my only way of release, okay, now we're going to do a safety plan because this is, that's, it's, you can understand how that comes into play. Almost never is the, am I actually worried about a homicidal thought either? Because that's almost always an OCD thought. So I, I, I haven't encountered that where people are, I'm actually worried and there's a safety plan for that, but suicide there is just because I, I want relief and I feel like that's my only option. Robert, th this episode is, should be something included in like the psychopathology class or the treatment planning class. I mean, Oh yeah. yeah oh definitely. man. Yep. I, I love it. Um, so, I mean, just, you've kind of already set this up for kind of our last question here. Like, Tell us about ERP. Tell us about exposure and prevention response. And particularly in, in, I mean, I've heard this from other clinicians, other students, like when we hear that word exposure, like we're like, ooh, right? It just, it just has this negative connotation to it. And I've heard it be described as very aggressive. Um, our CBT is a lot more hands-off and whatever. I don't mean to say that with a pejorative voice, but like, I've done exposure myself for uh, different things, and I found it to be very effective. It's very exhausting. Uh, it's very intense. And, and, and so when we hear that word exposure, we might think that this is something similar and, and is a, not something that people would want to do because it's not safe or it's, it's, it's hard or it's difficult, it's painful. But from what we're hearing you share, that, that's not the case. And it seems like OCD has a lot of stereotypes and maybe exposure modalities have a lot of stereotypes too. So can you walk us through the ERP uh, approach? Yeah, and it's, 
it, it's really simple in the way it works, which is nice. I mean, I like simple. I, I don't like to complicate things. I'm a, I'm a aviation background, right? Give me a manual and let me work, let me work through it. So it's simple, the better. So that's why I, I like it. And it, and again, it's the gold standard for OCD. And, and I think that's why we need to talk about it. We need to, we need to be aware of it because it just, it just works. So, so technically ERP is considered a modality of CBT. I actually don't like that we call it that, even though I know structurally that's how it works. I don't like calling that because it. I think it's so anti what we know CBT to be, right? It's, it is working on thoughts. It is doing some behaviors to, to change, you know, the unwantedness of the disorder. But it's so different than OCD or the, of CBT. Of, of how we work and, you know, pure exposure therapy, right? You, you know, I think you mentioned with trauma or PTSD, right? Is, okay, I have these uh, this unwanted event, so I'm gonna slowly expose myself to whatever the trigger is so that I, I reduce the power over it. You know, yeah, that, that works, right? You know, to some extent, I think you can. And, and probably, you can see how it would be a little aggressive as in some instances, right? Okay. I'm going to expose you to this worst thing that's ever happened to you slowly, right? OCD is different because this is not an actual event. This is not, this is not an actual reality, right? I'm not exposing you to anything that you've ever experienced or that really is ever going to happen, right? If I step on this crack, I'll break my back, right? With those little things that, you know, we work with kids or the, the phrase gets thought out. If I step on that crack, no one's actually, no back's actually going to be broken. Right. Um, but what if it is right? That's what OCD says. And that's what people with OCD struggle with, right? They know, right? Okay. That's not true. But what if it is? And I can't shake the, but what if it is part? Um, and so with ERP, what well, all that we're doing is is it's interesting that this is because it's one of the big things I'm learning as a counselor and as an educator is, is really, and I think this is a biblical principle too. Can I be okay with not knowing? And I think that's that is a very uncomfortable thing for anybody to sit with because I mean you guys know you're in school right you're about to graduate everything was about knowing right and you have to prove you have to know stuff and you have to you know do all this stuff but but can I be and I think scripture is laid out in that way too that there's so much we don't know right and God doesn't actually give us the answers to but can I be okay in the uncertainty and the not knowing and that's really what exposure therapy is doing is it's saying, okay, I'm not actually going to give that thought an answer. We're not even going to validate that as rational. CBT would say, pure CBT would say, oh, you had that thought. Let's look at where that came from. Was there past trauma we may need to dig up? And all of that is validating the thought. It's feeding it. Right, where OC or ERP says we're not going to do that. That thought is irrational. We've identified it as OCD, and what we're going to do is we're actually going to live in that anxiety. We're going to live in that uncertainty. And I I use the term I use the term with clients. It's ultimately going to be okay. That's the that's the thought I need to have. 
people with OCD, especially if it's been around for a long time, they don't believe that because it's, I've only done things to give it an answer. So I have to live in the uncertainty. So take hand washing, right? Which is a big one, but it's probably one people are familiar with, right? I have to wash my hands 500 times a day. And it's interesting. It's, this is a part about OCD. It's interesting. Most OCD thoughts are about me doing something to someone else. Never is the worry someone else does something to me. It's very personal. And it, it's, that's the insidious nature of it, right? Most contamination thoughts, there's some that vary, but most contamination thoughts are, oh, no, I'm spreading germs. So I have to be clean. I have germs on me. I have to get it off, right? And so I'm, I'm, sh I'm spreading germs. It's very self-condemning and shaming. Um, so ERP would say, all right, what we're going to do is you're going to wash your hands, which is, which is COVID was great for this, right? Where it's like, everyone go wash your hands a lot. <laughs> you know, you're spreading germs. So that did not help. But anyway, we're going to say, you're going to wash your hands for 10 seconds and you're going to stop. Right. Your brain is going to tell you, Oh, they're still dirty. I'm still in it. That anxiety says, I got to go back and do that, but we're not. And we're going to live in that fear. We're going to live in that anxiety. And ultimately the thought is going to go away. Cause what I did is I took the power away from it. I can live in the uncertainty. OCD has nowhere to go. We've, we've spotlighted the monster. And now it has nowhere to go. It has to live in darkness, has to live in uncertainty. So if we can highlight it, say, I'm, I know my brain is telling me I have to do this, but I'm not going to give in. And then ultimately it goes away. And it actually happens really quickly. I think it's like 16 to 20 sessions on average for ERP. And you'll find about 60 to 80% success rate for ERP with, with OCD. Right? So, the the compulsion part is that it's a little easier with that right i'm just not going to give in i'm not going to check the doors i'm not going to check did i leave the water on and a lot of checking can be a thought too but it's tougher when it's like religiosity right or it's thoughts about other people right because those can actually be tied to some real hurts in the past but ocd has attached itself to it and this is where educating family and people around them can be really important right you have to actually educate others. Hey, I have OCD. So if I'm repeatedly asking you for reassurance on something, I actually need you not to give me an answer. Right? Again, it's very counterintuitive to what we and other people do. But we need to do that because that's how we get rid of it. We have to live in the uncertainty. And, and I have a client that does, they do really well they have a friend that's really well, just very educated on, on OCD. And I'll ask, okay, did this happen? And what did your friend do? And they're like, yeah, my friend, I wanted reassurance. And my friend was like, you know what? I'm not going to give that to you because I know what this is. And they get real mad, right? They're frustrated with their friend, but ultimately they know that's what I need. That's what I need. And it's, it's, that's why ERP, it's simple, but it's really hard. You can see, right? Because what I'm asking you to do is tough. I'm asking you to go against what you're really doing uh, or really what you really want to do, but it's, it's so freeing and it, and it's just, it, it reduces it pretty, pretty quickly because OCD might pop up. They'll do ERP in, in session, but they'll also do it outside of session. 
And I'll ask, okay, you did your repeat. How long did that anxiety last? A couple minutes and it was gone. There you go. It's done. You did it. Right. And that's, it's just doing that over and over practice like we do with other therapies. Dr. Wagner, that, thank you so much. Um, there's so much there and, and I just want to keep going. I find it absolutely fascinating that an individual, you know, what take two individuals, one can consider a thought irrational and the other one can't. I mean, it, it just, it just, just fascinates me how that happens. And, and thank you for giving us some insight as well as talking about how to help because I, I think I've been counterintuitive. I think I've been using the CBT and, and some of those techniques. And after listening to you, you know, certainly got to investigate, you know, some, some changes to that. So thank you for sharing that. And, and also too, you, you lived up to the hype. Um, we hear a lot of individuals that said, get, get Dr. Wagner on because he's going to be good. And, and you absolutely lived up to the hype. So thank you for just the thorough explanation and, and just such good information. It was really, really great. And there's so much there more. I mean, it's such a broad topic. We'd have to have a couple more sessions and, and would love to do that in the future. So thank you for just getting us the opportunity to learn more about OCD, what it is, how we deal with it, the ins and outs of it. So many just good nuances that you help me kind of understand it's going to make me a better counselor moving forward. So Dr. Wagner, thank you so much for being here today. Good. Thank you guys. It was, it was great. If the more I can bring awareness and it's, it's amazing when I have clients that have had success in that, how much an advocate they become for OCD. We need to tell people about it. We need to get this out because people need to have, they, they, there's freedom in here, right? And there's, there, there can be that. So any, any chance we can get to do that is, is good. So I, I appreciate you guys having me on and if it if it has people go do some more research and, and try to do this better we can we can help more people with this um ocd actually is more prevalent than schizophrenia and bipolar in the population so it's 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 out there and it's prevalent and it's so it's something we need to be aware of so thank you guys for the opportunity so I don't know if I lived up to the hype, but I'll. I'll oh yeah, I'm hoping it's <laughs> this was. Oh, just, certainly, good. I have I have in my mind this image, like you said, the OCD monster, and I feel like I feel like we're like pest control or something, or like calling me an exterminator, and we're gonna corner the uh, the monster with uncertainty and trap it. <laughs> yep, exactly. I love that, and sometimes my clients will latch onto that, right, and and run with it because I think visualizing it is really important. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you again, Dr. Wagner. Jeff, thank you. I will see you next week. Yeah. Looking forward to it. So we will keep all our listeners updated on how it goes next time on our next episode. So stay tuned. I want to wish everybody a wonderful day. God bless.